welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregor from To Love, Honor, and Vacuum.com. And every Thursday, we like to join you where we can unpack some of the terrible marriage teachings and discover what God really intended because our God is a God of love and he's a God of life and that's what our marriages should look like too. So joining me today I have my daughter Rebecca Lindenbach Hi. who is often here but we have another special guest Joanna Sawatsky. Hello. She is our co-author for The Great Sex Rescue. She is our statistician extraordinaire and she is here all the way from the Arctic. Yes. yes. She is visiting for a couple of weeks. We do need to say that Becca and I are part of a bubble. Joanna and her husband have both been fully vaccinated. And we also quarantined for two weeks before we came down. So So no worries. We're writing a whole book together in a month, and it was required that we do it together. So So here we are. (laughs) But that being done, speaking of books, girls, it is now two months since The Great Sex Rescue was published. Yes, it's over two months. And we've had, the sales have been wonderful mm-hmm. we've heard so many stories of people that are buying multiple copies for friends and yeah. especially counselors who are yes. buying which, yes, is which is really wonderful. encouraging uh-huh. yes but what we haven't heard is from some of the authors that we critiqued in the book and some of the evangelical leaders so we want to do a thought exercise as we start this show today of what would have happened if what would have happened if they listened so for those of you who don't know, our book, The Great Sex Rescue, it was out March 2nd. It's based on our survey of 20,000 women, um, largest survey ever done of women's marital and sexual satisfaction in the evangelical church. And we were looking at which evangelical teachings most messed up sex and marriage. And to do that, we also looked at where those evangelical teachings are in 13 of our bestsellers. Yes. And in those bestsellers, many of the authors themselves talked about how women their teachings harm people yeah yeah so we're gonna read some of those and show how if they had listened to their own readers to their own fans yes from the beginning we never would have had to do any of this yeah. i could be, be a very mild-mannered epidemiologist exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah this never would have had to happen so again we're not the ones being mean or unfair this yeah. is the consequence of ignoring voices for 20 years mm-hmm. okay so, so let's read from love and respect So here's an example that Emerson Egrich writes in his book, Love and Respect. Sometimes the love and respect connection can seem to backfire, as it did for this wife, whose husband monitored her respect meter, so to speak, to see how well she was doing. Now, whenever her husband senses anything that smacks of disrespect, even when it isn't, it reminds him of our past and he gets infuriated. I haven't seen such rage in a while. Actually, I regret letting him know about what I had learned from you because he uses it against me each time. I can take on the criticism. I feel I deserve it. But his rage is withering and makes me want to get away and hide. So he tells a story of a woman who, let's say this, is being abused because of his message. Yeah, if you feel like your husband has withering rage so that you need to get away and hide, that is an abusive marriage. Like, that is not safe. No. That is not safe. And what does Egrich say? Egrich doesn't say, wow, I'm so sorry that my message backfired. He talks about his own parents. Uh, He says, my father would become enraged at my mother um, to offset his strong feelings of personal guilt. He would take offense at things my mother innocently did and then explode. But she never saw herself as a victim. Not once in all my years growing up did I hear mom badmouth dad. So that's the advice he gives to an abused woman because of his teaching. He doesn't take any introspection. He doesn't question. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say, wait a minute. Maybe I'm causing abuse to flourish. Instead, yeah. he says, well, my mother, who, by the way, let's remember, his father attempted to strangle his mother. Yes, we have that in another podcast. He talks yeah. about this this frequently. Yeah. Yes. So let's remember, this is a astoundingly violent and abusive marriage yeah. that he is talking about when he talks about his parents. Yeah. yeah. He says, my mom didn't see herself as a victim and never said a bad word about dad, and that's what you should do. Yeah, you know what? If your husband attempts to strangle you, you are a victim, and yep. you need to get help, because once your husband has tried to strangle you, he is now seven times more likely to kill you. Yeah. And so this is this is serious. So Emerson Egrich, if you had listened to the women who messaged you, who talked to you at conferences, who sent you letters saying the abuse got worse, saying I'm scared of my husband, saying I feel used, mm-hmm. saying I can't handle this anymore, we never would have had to read your book. We never would have had to do a survey of 20,000 women and you would not be dealing with the backlash you are today. This book should have never been written because you were told that before it came out. Okay, let's turn to every man's battle. 
In the original Everyman's Battle that was written in, I think, 2000, he had a number of women read this, often the wives of the authors, and they had astonishingly terrible reactions to what was being written in Everyman's Battle. In fact, here is the reaction of Brenda, who is Fred's wife. Fred is one of the authors of Everyman's Battle. And she said, men seem like untrustworthy pigs whose minds and thoughts just go wherever they want it's nothing sacred to them as women do we trust men after reading this you can't even trust a pastor to be a pure person i feel that if anything ever happened to fred i'd never remarry because i would have very little trust in men and what is their response to brenda it's saying we know women respond this way but it's just very important that they understand this is just how men are and that's what they say throughout the book we got there naturally simply by being male. Now, interestingly, Brenda and Fred co-authored Every Heart Restored, which was actually even worse than Every Man's Battle. And when you look at the chapters that Brenda and Fred write, they're, they often contradict each other. It's mm -hmm. like Brenda's trying to be healthy and Fred keeps doubling down on men just lust and women need to understand it. And yeah. that's the message that keeps coming across. Women just need to understand men. There is no attempt of men to understand how much this message hurts women. Or to just frankly take responsibility for their actions. Yep. Like, they could grow up. That would be an alternative. Yep, exactly. <laughs> okay, and now to Through a Man's Eyes by Shanti Feldham and Craig Gross. Several have told us, I'm never going to be able to trust my husband again now that I know how visual he is. And more than a few devastated husbands have told us that their wives stopped being intimate with them altogether once they learned the truth about how men are wired. Yeah. That's really a problem. So yeah. she's saying this is the feedback she got after For Women Only. What we're trying to get at here is all of these authors had multiple chances to question and say, maybe I'm wrong. They had multiple victims standing in front of them saying, you hurt me, and they chose to ignore them. So that's mm -hmm. what happened before we entered the picture. And I just want to point out the, the last phrase in that paragraph. that, that The truth about. Once they learned the truth about how men are wired. So again, it's that attitude. Women just need to understand how men are. There's never an attempt to say, wow, if what we're saying is impacting women that much, maybe we are missing misunderstanding yeah. how God created, how God men, and women. created and it, men. Frankly, it's also an astounding lack of humility. That's what I was going to say. Because yeah. mm -hmm. we all, the three of us, have all changed our minds about very various things. I mean, for example, sexless marriages, we all had some real learning to do that came out of the research that we did for the Great Sex Rescue. Yeah. And that should be normal. Yeah. That we are fallible human beings. I am not God. Neither are yeah. you. Neither are, like, Shanti Felton does not have a special beam down from the Almighty that she knows perfect truth from mm -hmm. God. Yeah. Like, we are all fallible and all sin in various ways. Like, we can all get something wrong. Yeah, I, I just am astonished yeah. at the lack of teachability and the, the hard-heartedness, frankly, from these authors. Yeah. yeah. And that was all before we even did anything. Yeah, so these so, authors knew all of this before they wrote their books because they wrote it in their books, the books themselves. Yep. Yeah. So then 2019 comes along. Mm -hmm. We read Love and Respect for the first time. Yep. Mm -hmm. That we, was a doozy. I write about it on the blog. We get hundreds of stories of abuse. No, no, first of all, the reason we read Love and Respect in the first place is because you had been getting stories and yes. comments about Love and Respect for months. Mm -hmm. And we listened. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The reason we read Love and Respect was not because we were like, hey, we're marriage authors. Let's go after the number one marriage author in our, sp in our space. Nope. Mm -hmm. It's because we got so many comments from women saying Love and Respect ruined my sex life. Love and Respect ruined my marriage. I was abused because of Love and Respect. And so we said, well, we should really check this out. Yeah. Yeah. So one day I saw it on Twitter, it reminded me, and I thought I will look. And then I wrote about it for a week. We had hundreds of stories of women saying this book made abuse worse in my marriage. And so Joanna created a report. Mm -hmm. And in that report, I will say that that exact paragraph that Rebecca read was in the report to focus on the family saying, hey, this was known ahead of time. Yeah. Just FYI. And we sent it to focus on the family and they ignored it. Yep. yep. 
Fogan's the family didn't listen. No, and it was because they didn't listen <laughs> that we decided we needed to go big or go home. We thought if they can ignore hundreds of women, maybe they can't ignore 20,000. Yep, exactly. And so that is why we wrote The Great Sex Rescue. Yep. Because they ignored us. And then after we wrote The Great Sex Rescue, we continued to talk about these issues. We called out the authors again and again. We shared stories of the abuse. We even sent our findings about the teachings in For Women Only to Shanti Felton herself in August. Remember, our book was not published until March 2nd. Yeah, the, it wasn't finalized in August and we were inviting her to our, our final uh, Our final edits were handed in mid-November. So we mm-hmm. sent her stuff ahead of time and we even offered if she wanted to kind of make a statement mm-hmm. um, recanting any of the harmful teachings, which I know is a horrible and humiliating email. I know that's not fun to get. Yeah. I know that's incredibly humbling. Yeah, but James 3.1 is a verse that exists that yep. not many of us should presume to be teachers because we who teach will be judged more strictly. Yep. If you sign up to teach, you sign up to have to eat crow. Yeah. Yep. You yep. sign up to eat humble pie if you need to. You have to do the hard thing because, frankly, that's the role that you signed up for. You are mm-hmm. the shepherd. You are in charge of taking care of the sheep. And mm-hmm. if you fail in that, you're responsible. Yeah. And she didn't listen in August. No. Yeah. What we did was we sent her the findings on two of our main teachings because we yeah. found them in her books. The teachings that we measured, All Men Struggle With Lust, It's Every Man's Battle, yeah. which we found in For Women Only. Yeah. And um, Boys Will Push Girls' Sexual Boundaries, which we found in For Young Women Only. Mm -hmm. And her response was, was, she was very gracious, actually, in the email. She took it really well and and was very kind. But she just said that she didn't believe that she taught those things. Yeah, she she just denied that she taught any of those teachings, even though we had, you know, quotes. She says she doesn't teach that all men struggle with lust. Instead, what she teaches is that... Most men struggle with visual stimulation and temptation in this sexualized culture, but they work to fight it. Which is just the same way of saying all men struggle with lust. I know. Also, throughout her book, she says most men, but then she also says all men. And if you don't, and if uh, don't even bother talking to your husband about it because he will lie to you. Yeah. So, you know, this is the thing is whether or not you intend to say something, if people are coming to you saying you did this. It is incumbent on you to listen. But Focus and the Family didn't listen. Emerson Agrish didn't listen. The authors of Every Man's Battle didn't listen when their wives said it hurt them. You know, and that's their wives. Yes. If you don't care if you hurt your wives, mm-hmm. like, anyway, these authors have continuously ignored it over and over again. And they have left thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of abuse victims in their yeah, way. Because the most harmful books that we looked at, I mean, they sold in excess of like 20, 25 million copies. In total, yeah. In total, something yeah. like that. I know you've been doing that work. Okay. And then here's another good example. Mark Gunger. Yeah. Oh, this is, <laughs> this one just infuriates me because it was so simple and he chose to go up a mountain when he could just cross a small bridge. Like, okay. It was just funny because he wrote, as some of you know, I talked about this earlier, but he wrote a post about sex, how sexless marriages are grounds for separation and even divorce. And I made a comment saying that it's more nuanced than that because sexlessness tends to be a symptom of a bigger problem. Yeah. It isn't the problem itself. Mm-hmm. And what we found in our survey of 20,000 women is that sexless marriages don't tend to just happen. There's usually something else going on. And he just went ballistic. He- yeah. Like, and, and we did write it in a way where he could have just very easily said, like, actually, you know what? So anyone who doesn't know what happened with the Mark Gunger, we're going to post a link to an article by Shannon Ashley that really does a great job of kind of outlining everything that happened. You can find that in the show notes. But I want to actually jump to someone who did this right as a contrast to show what Mark and all these authors could have done. Yeah. So a couple weeks ago, Henry Cloud posted. Yeah, he's the author of Boundaries. He's the author Mm -hmm. of Boundaries. Posted a kind of just a meme on his Facebook page that some people took to be discouraging women in abusive relationships to get out. Yeah, he was sort of saying, it was it was sort of like it takes two to tangle. Like if yeah. there's a problem in your marriage, you both kind of contributed in some yeah, way. Yeah, like and if there's a yeah. problem, don't point fingers, look at yourself first. So something yeah. along those lines, yeah. right? And a bunch of people commented saying, dude, like abuse. Like when I'm pretty sure when my husband hit me, I didn't do anything to deserve that. Like, are you saying I should have stayed? And he immediately went down the comment section. I said, Oh my goodness, this is not what I mean at all. Let me clarify. This is really important. Like 
if you are in an abusive marriage, not everything is two is two ways. We're talking about normal disagreements and petty fights in a healthy marriage. Otherwise, if you're being abused, please get out. I will always be a huge advocate of women's safety. And like, he just handled it so incredibly well. Yeah. And everyone was sharing this post saying, wow, this is why we love Henry Cloud. This is why we love the book Boundaries. What a humble guy. He really puts the safety in pro and prioritizes women's well-being. This is awesome. He posted something that people disagreed with and it worked to his benefit because he apologized so quickly and he changed just the nuance behind it so quickly and he listened. Yeah. He humbled himself, realized he misspoke because he, he didn't think it through all the way. Yeah. And he just adjusted his message. And that's probably why Boundaries in Marriage was one of our top scoring books. And it's consistently one of the books that we hear that abused women. It helps them see that they were being mistreated. Yeah. You and, know? And from a totally banal perspective, it also sells really well. Like, yeah. I think it would be easy for an author to say, well, I can't recant or apologize because then I'll lose my platform. But, like, no. In this day and age apologizing and being transparent actually helps because people want to know they can trust you. So then we look at Mark Gunger as a contrast. If Mark had done what Henry did and added a comment or just edited his, um, cause Henry's was a picture, so he couldn't edit it. Whereas yeah. Gunger's was all text. He could have just edited it on Facebook and just said, by the way, I'm not talking about sexlessness where you stopped having sex because you're being mistreated. If Mark did what Henry did, it literally would have looked like adding a sentence or two to his original thing, or even just adding a comment saying, and by the way, sexlessness can sometimes be a symptom of a larger issue, and that is a different situation. Yeah. We are just talking about sexlessness due to like, you know, porn addiction, or due to like, you know, um, having an affair elsewhere. Like, obvious reasons why the sexlessness mm -hmm. is a real issue. You know, he could have just done that, and then we would have been, good job, Mark, the exact same way we did to Henry Cloud. Yeah. We would have been able to praise Mark to the skies and been like, wow, this is a guy who really mm -hmm. cares about the well-being of his listeners. And instead, he started deleting all my followers' comments and called me crazy. He's sorry I'm real. Yep. Uh, it was bizarre. Again, you can see all me. this. Really if you're, weird. It was, it was, it, I will say, I have not had this experience since I, like, stopped talking to, um, since, like, I wasn't in, in high school anymore. Yeah. I have not had such a juvenile online experience with a grown yeah, man. Yeah, it was and, really weird. No, like, like I think 13-year-olds are yeah. kind of, uh, it, that's the, the best way to describe his, his mental state during that. So you can check out the article if you want to hear more about that. It's but, actually really funny. Yeah, it, it's, it's genuinely not even that infuriating because it's just kind of farcical. Yeah. Um, anyway, but the point is there's always a way to listen and respond with compassion and grace and humility. Mm -hmm. And some authors have shown that. Henry Cloud has shown that. And that is why he continues to have the respect and the trust of people who are abuse advocates. Mm -hmm. Emerson Egrich has shown the opposite of that. Shanti mm -hmm. Feldon has shown the opposite of that. The authors of Every Man's Battle have shown the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Mark Gunger has shown the opposite of that. And we need to no longer have it be okay that you can teach and you can have influence over people's lives and not care how your influence affects them. Yep. We have just done the largest survey that has ever been done in the evangelical world about Christian women's sexual marriage satisfaction. And no one's talking about it in, in the, the powers evangelical that powers that be. Nope. Everybody's talking about it down here. Yeah. And our book is selling really well and counselors are buying it. And I'm going to say, frankly, we enjoy more this group of people anyway. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> we love you all. But... <laughs> You know, we have not seen even other authors in the marriage space that we didn't talk about have not yeah. come on board. Nope. Mm -hmm. I don't know anybody who has, really, yeah. who's like a big Who's name. not doing deconstruction work already. Like, we got yeah. lots of people who are on board who are like awesome, huge authors oh, in their yeah. own right. Jeez, like Laura Berenger and Scott McKnight have been great. Christine yeah, Rachel Joy Welch, like our whole, so many. Our whole, uh, yeah, the whole group of women who are shaking the church. We're all in this together. Oh, yeah. yeah. But when it comes to the cultural kind of powers that be within evangelicalism, they're, they're suspiciously silent. Yeah. And I think it's because everyone is realizing that in order to address our findings, in order to actually look at our survey, they're going to have to apologize. And I don't think they're willing to do that. Yeah. I hope that they prove us wrong. But it has been two months, and these authors knew this was coming for like a year. Yeah. And they haven't done And anything. they haven't done a single thing. Yeah. So I'm going to finish out this segment with a little story from Prince Caspian from the uh, Chronicles of Narnia, which I don't know about any of you, but I grew up entirely obsessed with. Yes. <laughs> so the four Pevensey kids 
are traveling toward Prince Caspian, who they're going to try to rescue. They're on a rescue mission. And Lucy, the youngest, sees Aslan. And she says to her siblings, hey, yo, we got to follow. And gets patted on the head by her two eldest siblings. And they say, nope, we're keeping going the way we're going. We're gonna, let's, let's do it. And that night, Aslan comes to her. And she has this wonderful embrace with him. It's lovely. And then she says, oh, but I should have followed you earlier. What would have happened? And he says, my child, no one has ever told what would have happened. But anyone can find out what will happen now. If you go back, wake the others, and and then they start on their quest. Nobody knows truly what would have happened if Emerson Egrich had listened to that woman who came to him with the story of how she was being abused. Nobody can know. But anybody can find out what will happen if he stands up and says, guess what, I messed up. Mm -hmm. For the sake of the kingdom of God. And I know how big of a deal it is to invoke the kingdom of God in this. But let us remember that Jesus talks about how precious to God is a single sparrow and how much more precious to him are the women who have been abused. Mm -hmm. And if not for the sake of those suffering because of the teachings that the evangelical world has taught, then for what will these authors apologize? Yep, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay. And so with that preamble, we have two more segments coming with some interviews that I did, but we want to share our false teaching of the week, which kind of threads through everything. Becca, would yes. you like to say it? So our false teaching is this. God's design is that women's voices are silenced so that men's can be louder. And both of the interviews that are coming up are going to talk about that from two different angles. So I hope you enjoy. Okay, we are here on Zoom, and I have brought Timothy Thomas on with me. Timothy, he is a teacher and a coach and a writer, and he wrote this amazing article that I read. Gosh, it must have been like a year ago, and then I found him on Twitter because he was talking about it, and I'm like, oh, I need to have him on. So he wrote, he wrote an article, Divorcing White Evangelicalism and Remarrying My Wife. So Timothy, hello. Hi, how you doing? Good. I'm so glad that we could connect. This is awesome. Now, you're from Fort Worth, just so everyone knows. So you're like in Texas where I assume it's warmer now and I'm up here in Canada where it's freezing, but it's so cool that we can <laughs> connect anyway. And I read this article where you just were talking about how you realized that that your church was not a great one for you, but your wife came to that realization first. And so I was wondering if you could just tell us a bit of your story. And then I got some questions I want to ask you after. Awesome. So just a quick kind of rundown of me and my wife's story. We met in college out in Abilene, Texas, where uh, at, at the time I was there, I don't know if it's still the case, but they had the most churches per capita in the world, I believe. Um, <laughs> I might, can might believe that. Be, might have just been the United States. But um, so, yeah, just everywhere you turn, there's, you know, some sort of church of some sort of denomination. You know, met the Lord there and met my wife there and... Uh, so then just kind of gr started growing and learning about uh, reform theology and also all the sort of cultural aspects that came along with that. So learning very early on to just sort of ditch my cultural identity of what I've grown up with, especially as an African-American man in the church I grew up with, uh, grew up in, which was pre predominantly African-American and all the other things that come along with that in church, particularly in white evangelical uh, churches is kind of almost in a sense of, of I, w I would classify today as just a, a dominating viewpoint of, or just a, a conquering viewpoint of just about everything. So everything from arguments to, you know, our notions of who should be the leader, who should make all the decisions in, in the home and things like that. And so my wife and I kind of, we got engaged under that, we're married under that. And very early on, my, I mean, my wife, she's very much an, an independent thinker, thinks outside the box, but for the longest, I just always took it as her just not being submissive and <laughs> uh, being outside the notion of like, especially when we looked at a lot of the other young ladies and all the other women that were kind of in our circles, she was just very different from all the other women. And there's just uh, certain things that she just wasn't going to ride with. And so I took offense to that. And then just, she wanted to kind of better our life in wanting to become a nurse and things like that. So she had to travel. Then we moved here to Fort Worth that we got married. 
She had to travel back and forth to Abilene to get her nursing degree for a whole year. And uh, during that time as well, it was just very tumultuous from then on for, for about the next four or five years and just really just missing each other and, and just this disconnect. And a lot of it had to do with my idea of her not listening to me, her not submitting to what I wanted, and obviously everything from the, the decisions that she was making to when we wanted to have sex and when that should be. And she just, she wasn't going to have it. And so as I started to learn or start to think outside more of the scope of the, you know, I'll just identify them as white evangelical authors and sort of like these reform uh, theological circles. And then also on top of that, a lot of the social and racial un uh, unrest and start to see a lot of things just start breaking down then and seeing how these people were reacting or weren't reacting to certain things that were going on in the culture, especially when in regards to people that look like me and my wife, then that's when I really started questioning a lot of things. And a lot of things that my wife was already like, I try to tell you, um, so, so then, you know, then I started rethinking like, okay, well, you know, this idea, you know, cause a lot of it had to do with just white male head leadership and conquering and, and they wouldn't say it as in explicit terms, what I say goes, but in the end, like I should have the final word and the final say mm -hmm. of what happens in regards to everything in our life. Just seeing how like there 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 wasn't any cohesion for us in terms of you know how we learn from one another, how we actually are helping one another, how I'm sacrificing for her. And long story short, now today, I mean obviously we're not we're not perfect by any means, but we just vibe so much better today as a result of me not feeling this weight or this pressure of feeling like she has to listen to my final word and do as I say, and really just lay down and submit to me in in ways that please me. That's kind of where we're at today. And I don't know, we just we just vibe so much better now, especially after we stepped away from the church that we were in, which was, you know, very much, you know, white evangelical in terms of the way that everything is structured as well. And just the things that she saw in the church that was happening that I didn't want to see. She saw it long before me as well, too. And and it was kind of weird, like once we went to counseling and which our church helped us helped us pay for, then that's when I started to realize a lot of these a lot of these things that like, you know, it's not about me, uh, nor this idea of headship that I think is very misconstrued a lot of times. So so she knew this before you did. So she, was she seriously frustrated with you then? Like, how did she, how did she have those conversations with you when she was like, no, nah, this isn't the way that this is going to work? I mean, it wouldn't come out in the best of ways from her. I, I think she would agree with that as well too. But because my language was always draped in Christianese and I always had an argument that was not even necessarily based in scripture, or if it was, it wasn't said in a, in a proper way. It was mainly just so I can have my point and defeat her argument. But so, but for her, it was just like, all right, I mean, that's cool, but that's not right. It was just, I don't know, it was just very different. And, and her being like that, and then me coming, sort of coming like out on the other side, I guess you can say, kind of also gave me the freedom to be able to go back and realize that it's okay for me to express myself and who I am culturally and ethnically and it doesn't have to be in this shell of what is present most presentable to a lot of my white evangelical brothers that I was um, within the church. Mm -hmm. So you said that you went to counseling and that helped you see that the way that you were operating wasn't really good. Now, I know a lot of people go to counseling and it's not that helpful and then some people go to counseling and it's amazing. What did you, yours obviously was good. Was there something in particular that um, you felt was positive about it? Or could you give people any tips on how to know when a counseling experience is good? Yeah. So the, you know, our counselor, I feel like he just gave us the freedom to, to just be us and, you know, to kind of step back and give us the space to, you know, to communicate how we feel and just, 
just ask questions. And I don't ever, I didn't ever really get the sense that he was trying to steer us to a particular point. Um, and even like to today, like he, like he, he, he would tell us, cause like after we, after things started getting really, you know, much, much better, we would miss like a month. We hadn't hear from him. Then we scheduled another meeting and then like, oh yeah, I was going to contact y'all. And he's like, no, you weren't. But because I don't think his goal was to just get us to keep coming back. Um, I think his goal was to just get us to speak to each other in a healthy manner in a way that would build, each, mm-hmm. you know, would build us up without him having to be present. Uh, That's for great. It. That's great. Now, I know you mentioned too, in your article, part of it was you guys did end up fighting over sex quite a bit. And you had this entitlement view that she was resisting, obviously. Can you speak into that at all? How the church? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I think, I think that you just take what is kind of taught about again what what is the role of a husband and a wife and usually the passages uh you know pull from ephesians you know supposed to be the head of the wife and love her like christ loved the church and, and things like that and so I, I there was this burden of i feel like i'm trying to do what is best for us and you have another idea of what you think is best for us. And now you're doing what you feel is best for us. And it's not what I think is best for us. So you, you know, you take our example of our second year marriage of um, her thinking what was best for us is going to nursing school and getting a nursing degree so she can make money so we can, you know, uh, try to start building wealth and eventually build a home and all this stuff. And I didn't see that picture. I just saw, you know, why don't you just be a stay at home wife and serve me? Mm-hmm. And so her not not seeing my point of view and not submitting to what I wanted, then there became this burden, like I'm living outside of the will of God and who God has called me to be as a husband. Mm-hmm. And so then it leads to me, for me anyways, it led to tr- just trying to find other ways of trying to find some sort of control. So then from then from there you start looking to your work and then when you're not as successful there and you can't control everything there for me then it turned into well what can I tr- what can I control in other areas and that's about the time that you know a lot of the social unrest and and racial injustice start coming to the forefront it's like well what can I control there and so then I can't control that and so now what else can I control and then I'm trying to find other people that can validate me because again, I feel like I'm not living with, I'm not being who God has called me to be as a husband. And so just more burdens and more burdens and more burdens. I can't control any of these things. And it just, it stemmed from this idea that I'm not controlling my household. So again, I, you know, you kind of already have the sense of who my wife, how my wife is and who, you know, who she is. But so obviously she's like, we're not in a good space. I'm not just going to have sex with you just because you want to have sex with me. And so then there on top of that, it's like, well, now not only not only am I not controlling my house, but now my wife doesn't even want me and she won't listen to me. You know, she won't lay down and have sex with me when I want it. And so now I start looking at her as the problem and looking at everybody else as the problem. And all of that kind of did lead to, you know, did stem from this entitlement to I'm I'm head of the house. This is what what I say goes, and you won't have sex with me. You won't do play the role that I want you to play. It just all just kind of came crumbling down, and for definitely in a good way. And so when it came crumbling down, you guys said that you're you're going to a different church now too. Like yeah, a- I mean we're honestly we're still we're still looking. I think we're pretty close to the place, yeah. but yeah, we left. I'm in the same place. We're still, we're, we think we're nowhere we're going to start going now too. So I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. And I know that a lot of people too will say, okay, but, but what do you do now with the verses that do say that the husband um, is the head of the wife? Like, do you just throw out the Bible now or have you seen, have you come to a new way of seeing that? I still, I still grapple with it, honestly, um, trying to figure out what those things mean. But I think also understanding context matters and also for scriptures like that, what you know, what I re- reference in uh, Ephesians, emphasizing the loving her like Christ loved the church more than being the head and being so so called the final say. And this was explained to me a long time ago by somebody else from my from my former church, the church I grew up in. 
But it's like like that's not that's not your focus. Like your focus is continually sacrificing and doing what you need to do to let her know that you love her no matter what. And if she feels like what she's doing is best for our family and you disagree, then you let her do that. Because in the same way that I feel like sometimes I know what I'm doing is best for me, uh, God doesn't always allow me not to do something. Sometimes he lets me do it. And then I look back and say, dang, I shouldn't have did that. Uh, you know, and so, and if that's the case, then that, you know, then that's the case. Then my, and my wife is also very humble enough to admit when she's wrong as well too. being able to have that type of understanding about our relationship with God and who God is and, and the ways that he loves us and the ways that he's forgiving and trying to model that rather than just these words that I want to fit my category of who I want to be as the conqueror, as the master, mm -hmm. as the head, as the boss is, is a better way of looking at the scriptures rather than just mm -hmm. what the way that I want to see it. So is she a nurse now? Is she all qualified? And She's a nurse. She just got a, she just got a promotion. She's a manager now of a whole clinic. She's, she's balling. And I'm, I'm really excited for her. And, you know, I'm really proud of her. She's, She's, I mean, I, I think so highly of her, so many different ways. She just, she just got it together. And I just wish I would listen to her a long time ago. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Do you still write? Yes, I still write. I am a uh, staff writer uh, for Christ and Pop Culture over at ChristandPopCulture.com. And uh, I've written for, you know, some different local places like the Fort, Fort Worth Star Telegram, Rapzilla, so I've written some things here and there in some different places, but uh, especially right now with, with track season, I get kind of busy, so I fall behind. <laughs> awesome. Well, we will put some links into uh, some of your articles, but thank you so much for joining us. It's great to hear personal stories sometimes too on the podcast. So really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you for having me. Well, I am happy to have on the podcast Bruce Fleming from Minneapolis, and he has just written an awesome book called The Book of Eden, which takes us through problematic passages in Genesis and shows us why they're actually not so problematic. <laughs> so Great. Bruce, thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm glad to be. Your book goes into Genesis 2 and 3, so the story of the fall, creation story, story of the fall. And I want to look, I mean, it's an amazing book. Everybody needs to get it. I, I know a couple of months ago, we had Cynthia Westfall on the program and she took us through Ephesians 5.33 about respect your husbands and how it doesn't mean what we think it means. And people were like, yes, bring us more where we're just looking at one verse. And so Bruce, you are here to talk to us about Genesis 3.16 today, because I know how many people have problems with that. And um, why don't you tell us what, what that verse says, Genesis 3.16 and the context. I'm, I'm building on the research of my wife, Joy. So Dr. Joy Fleming really gets the credit for discovering what's in Genesis 3.16. We, we went over to Africa as professors in a seminary there, and the African leader said, before you do your doctoral research, don't do it on some obscure verse somewhere. Do it on something we, we really care about. So, so she did it on Genesis 2 and 3. And as she's working through Genesis 2 and 3, she got to Genesis 3.16, where God talks to Eve in the garden. And she said to me, you know, there's no curse here in the Hebrew, Bruce. There's, there's no curse. There are two curses, one on the serpent and one on the dirt. But mm -hmm. God didn't curse Eve and God didn't curse Adam, you know, and God didn't put her down, limit woman in any way in Genesis 3.16. And so I said, keep going. I want to <laughs> know what this is. And she did. And um, so that's, that's what we have in the book of Eden. And that's why I think it's really important because she just takes a look at the Hebrew words and doesn't throw a whole lot of extra theological implications. She just, what's, what's it say? Right. One of the, one of the big, biggest problems we have here in Genesis 3.16 is that about 200, 100 years ago, people started translating the first words in 3.16 differently. If you go mm -hmm. back to 16.11, the King James Version way back then, they did okay. But in the last period of time, they've been taking the first four words in Hebrew and they've been smooshing them together and God says two things, but now if you read your modern Bible, it looks like he only says one very bad thing. 
And so one of the big things we can do is to take a look at Genesis 3.16, the first four words in Hebrew. Uh -huh. And then once we get that straightened out, we can figure out the other seven words in Hebrew. Okay, so oh. just, just so everybody knows, the verse that we're talking about is the one where I'm going to not quote it exactly because I want you to show us what it really means, but it's the one that we think is telling Eve, you know, you're going to desire your husband and he's going to rule over you. And that's often been interpreted as God's plan is for men to be ruling over women or that the fact that men rule over women is Eve's curse and that right. that. So we see it in both those ways. So that's the verse we're talking about, just so everybody gets the context of it. So what are yeah. the first four words in Hebrew that you're talking about there? All right. He says this, uses the same verb two times, multiply, multiply. And when mm -hmm. you end up saying that twice, it means I'm really going to do it. So whatever it is, he's going to act in line one. And then Joy lines it out that the rest of the verse is lines two, three, and four. So what you're going for and what people really want to look at is lines three and four, but we got to get line one first. So God, mm -hmm. God acts in line one, and then he teaches her in lines two through four. He's not, he's not doing anything more. He's just saying, okay, now this is the way things are now. Let me tell you about it. Mm -hmm. So when he says, I'm going to do something, really going to do it, multiplying, I will multiply. He tells her the first thing, and that is itzabon. What is itzabon? That's a Hebrew word. Okay. And he doesn't tell her much about it. He doesn't tell us. He just says, you're going to get this thing. And then in the next verse, when God speaks to the man, he talks about what it is. All right. So what is it? God says to the man, because of you, I'm going to curse the ground and you will have sorrowful toil when you do field work. So she will have sorrowful like toil. The when sorrowful, she sorrowful toil is it's a bone. So. That's it's a bone. Okay. Okay. People, people say toil, but Joyce says no sorrowful dash toil. So sorrowful mm -hmm. toil. What's that got to do with uh, childbirth? Because most translations say you will have painful childbirth. Right. And she said that has nothing to do with childbirth. That has to do with work in the dirt with your hands, field work. Mm -hmm. So then she says the second thing, the second word, the fourth word is, I will surely multiply your conception. Uh huh. And she says, Bruce, look at this. The, the itzabon links down to the man in verse 17. And the conception links back to the serpent speech in verse 15, where God says to the serpent, you did it really did it bad this time. And uh, she's going to have offspring who will crush your head. Right. And a lot of people call that the protevangelium, the very first announcement of the good news. Mm -hmm. When I first learned that, I thought, why would God give the good news to the serpent tempter? Doesn't uh -huh. uh, that's but what it turns out is that God introduces the good news and then he winds it up when he says to her, and I will surely confirm that you're going to have conception. So she's not going to have conception that will crush the serpent's head and she will have sorrowful toil because she too is working the cursed soil. And so neither one of those has to do with the end of the nine months of pregnancy. Neither okay. one of those, that's not about childbirth. It's about two things. You're going to have it's a bone and you're going to have her own. You're going to have sorrowful toil and you're going to have conception. Mm -hmm. So bad news, sorrowful toil, good news, conception. So okay. that's what God says to her. There's no curse there. You're going so to have just, so just to reiterate the, it's a bone that, that God says she's going to have is the same word that God says Adam's going to have. Right. Not okay. gender specific. Everybody has okay. sorrowful toil. In fact, mm -hmm. the parents of Noah in chapter five of Genesis, they say, oh, we're going to have a new boy, a new baby, and maybe this one will help us uh, r rescue us from the itzabon, the sorrowful toil we have when we work the, the fields, which God cursed because of the man. Okay. Only three times is that word itzabon used, and all three, it has to do with the curse on the ground. Okay. No curse on the woman's body. Interesting. Okay. So, so we God, had pain and childbirth, but that was kind of always a given. Is that what you're saying? Like this, it's not about that. <laughs> It comes in line two. Okay. So oh, okay. Here we when go. We I'm get, getting ahead. Mm -hmm. When we get to line two, God says, now I'm going to tell you about something here. You guys sinned. And in the day you ate thereof, you died. So mm -hmm. you have, both of you, you have mortal bodies. Mm -hmm. And so, and he knows that she's going to give birth outside of Eden, where he's not going to be the, the uh, midwife. So right. outside of Eden, what's life going to be? So in line two, God says, and all the translations say, with terrible pain, you will have children. But that word is etsev. It's a pun on the word tree, which is ets. And so God says, yeah, you ate from the tree with ets, and you're going to have etsev. You're going to have uh, this, this, what I'm telling you about. Now, the word etsev, other places in the Old Testament, 
it's used and no time does it talk about childbirth. It's, it's a more of a general term. It, it is not related to childbirth. And so we're translating that word as with effort, you will bring forth children. Okay. Now, each woman delivers differently and joy mm -hmm. delivered with no, uh, with no painkillers, with nothing. She did it in a jungle hospital. And then she, you know, she did it here in the States. And so she had natural childbirth and she, we know that it takes a lot of effort, it's mm -hmm. a lot of work. But it, when we were in Africa, sometimes you're driving down the, the dirt road and it's muddy and you get stuck and then everybody has to get out and push the truck out of the mud with uh -huh. effort. Mm -hmm. And so it's this, 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 yeah, it can be painful, but it's effort. And so God says, now I'm going to tell you about what your life is as a mortal mother outside of Eden. With effort, okay. you will bring forth children. And that's a plural children. The other word seed, offspring, conception, those are all singular words. She might've been looking forward to just one child. So when he tells her about effort, he also gives her good news. So Joy found there's an alternating bad news, good news, bad news, good news, bad news, good news pattern that's in this verse. Mm -hmm. So she, in line two, she will with effort bring forth children, which is great news. God is still mm -hmm. confirming the blessing on them where he blessed them in Genesis one. And then he tells them to uh, you know, be fruitful and multiply. So yeah, they disobeyed, they were attacked. By the way, I don't call this the fall. I call Genesis 3 the attack. Uh -huh. And Genesis 2, I call it bare marriage. I thought you might appreciate that. <laughs> so, I like it. Yeah, they were naked and not ashamed. Yes. Where, yes. where do you go in yeah. the Bible to find out about bare marriage? You go to Genesis yeah. chapter 2. Mm -hmm. And if you want to know about uh, the attack, you go to Genesis mm -hmm. chapter 3. And mm -hmm. So he's telling her about the attack in, in line 2. And then he moves down to, okay, now... Uh, your desire. So in line three, he says, your desire, then there's no verb. And so you can put an is then to your mm -hmm. husband. All right, she's a newlywed in the Garden of Eden. What has her desire been in the past? Well, they've had, I don't know how much time, but they're great. They're on their, she's still on her honeymoon in the, you know, the right. Garden of Eden B&B. &B. So here they are, they're having a great time. He looks in her heart and she, he says, he confirms, your desire is still to your husband. Joy mm -hmm. says, your loving desire, okay. your loving okay. desire is still for your husband. People go, well, they say, well, what about in Genesis chapter four? There's the word desire over there. That's not even about a human. That's, that's about a thing, about an animal. It has desire. They have their desire, but you have your loving desire. There's only one other time that word is used, and that's in the Song of Solomon. And his lover is saying, his desire is for me, which is it's great. It's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There, People go into the Septuagint, which is the old Greek translation of Genesis 3.16, and they come up with desire. But we've seen a lot of bad translations through the years. And I think at this point already, the Septuagint was already a bad translation of Genesis 3.16. And line four is, he will rule over you. Mm -hmm. Now, what's the state of the man? The man heard God's words personally, don't eat from that one tree. Then he heard the serpent's words, because when the serpent speaks in the first five verses of Genesis 3, he uses the plural pronoun, you two, you all. So when the serpent is talking to them, he is talking to them both. Mm -hmm. And then she gives to her husband with her. So they're right. both listening. All right. So the man heard the words from God, don't eat. And then he hears the words from the serpent, go ahead and eat. So the man was under the rule of God before when he was alone, when he was with her, they're both under the rule of God. He hears the serpent and he disobeys the rule of God and he decides to rule over himself. All right, now man rules over himself and, and follows the, the lead of the serpent. And then when God says, where are you? The man comes out, doesn't say, you know, that serpent over there spoke to me and I followed his word. He doesn't even mention the serpent. Instead, he blames the woman and he blames God. So he is rebellious and he's ruling over himself and he's kind of snarky about it. You know, he doesn't have a good attitude. When God talks to her now, he says to her, that guy who is now ruling over himself, disobediently ruling over himself, he wants to rule over you. Mm -hmm. He doesn't talk to the woman or to the man. God doesn't say to the man, you go rule over her. He tells her, he warns her. So right. he's got good news, bad news, bad news, good news. Good news, your heart is still good. Bad news, that guy, the greatest sinner in the world, he wants to rule over you. Mm -hmm. And so in verse 20, when God is done talking to them both, 
we only have one verse where we see that they can do something on their own. And the man on his own decides to name her. And he uses a, a naming formula in Hebrew, which, which is uh, kind of like the kings in England. They say, I dub you, Sir Lancelot. Right. Okay. Uh -huh. In Genesis chapter two, the Hebrew is real clear. The naming formula is used and he dubs the name or he calls the name of each animal, the name he wants to give them. So he rules over those animals and he calls them their name. Mm -hmm. In Genesis 5, 2, it says he called their name Adam. So they are Mr. and Mrs. Adam when God's talking to them in the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. When he's done talking to them, what's the man do? He irrigates the name Adam only to himself. And then he calls her a name like he subdued the animals and, and dubbed them with their names. So he calls her name. Who cares what the name is? He treats her like the subordinate animals. He is ruling over her when he calls her her name. The first thing he does is what God warned her about. Look out. He's, he's ruling over himself, and now he's going to try to rule over you. Now, what's she going to do? She knows who, who's ruling over her. And now this man over here, he wants to rule over her. It's, it's a terrible situation to be in. And it started right there with the disobedient, rebellious man in the Garden of Eden. But she was disobedient and rebellious as well, wasn't she? She wasn't rebellious. Remember, uh, in, in the New Testament twice, it talks about Eve, and both times it says she was deceived. So that's a great point. Let's, okay. let's talk about that. Murder? Mm -hmm. uh, in my town, they're talking about murder. And, and yes. they're talking about first degree, second degree, third degree. And so what's going on here is they're saying, is it first degree murder that the person decided to do it? Or is it second degree murder? Um, they did it, but not on purpose. Mm -hmm. And there's punishment for each, but there's a different gradation in the punishment. When God talked to the man, he, he made a curse because of the man. When God talked to the woman, he didn't put on a, right. any curse because of the woman. And that's because he was a first degree eater and she uh -huh. was a second degree eater. He did it on purpose rebelliously and she had to be deceived. Satan had to trick her. And, and, and Jesus said he was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. So he came to okay. kill them both, but, but he was a liar and she'd never heard a lie before. So mm -hmm. she was deceived. So she, she did not rebel. And so God says, uh, look out, he's rebellious and, and he wants to rule over you. She's not rebellious. She has a good desire in her heart. And yet look what he's imposing on her. Okay. So then, cause, cause the other thing that other people have told me when it comes to Genesis is Adam was told not to eat the fruit, but Eve wasn't told that. Eve only heard that from Adam in the sense, does that matter at all or not? <laughs> because, you know, because God gave that, that command before Eve was even created. That's why we started the Eden podcast. If okay. you go back to, if you go back to episode two of the Eden podcast, or if you uh -huh. go to episode three, we're talking about bare marriage, Genesis uh -huh. two. Mm -hmm. And then, then we get to episodes three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We're talking about the, what happened after the attack. She could have heard from God. She could have heard from the man. She, she got it right when she talks mm -hmm. to the man, to the serpent. Yeah. So I don't think that, you know, we keep looking for problems with her. When, when <laughs> we were in Africa, we found out that people, uh, let's say when a woman has three, four five children, they usually come pretty easily by that point. You would know better than, than I would, know. Mm -hmm. but when you have your first baby, sometimes it takes longer. And we heard there was a village and over in this hut uh, where this, this young woman was having her first baby, the women were abusing her because she was taking so long to give birth the first time. Uh -huh. And they were rubbing, they were rubbing uh, red hot chili peppers in her eyes. They were, they were beating her and, and, uh, and they were justifying this by saying, you're supposed to have pain in childbirth. There's, there's just all kinds of terrible things that go on. If you think that Eve was cursed by God in the garden of Eden. And there's all kinds of bad interpretation of New Testament passages, too. If you think right. she was guilty, if you think she was the temptress, there's a cathedral in France where our professor took us in, and here's a statue of Eve. And he said, look around the back, and there are serpents embedded in her shoulders, writhing down her back. They, she's got the apple in her hand, and here's this temptress. She's not the temptress. She's not rebelling. She's got good desire. She's not cursed. There are a lot of good things in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.16. And then people, people come up with all, why? Because God says to her, I will, I will make you the combatant against him. I confirm the enmity, the battle between the serpent tempter and you. And so who's battling against her? 
who would battle against the interpretation of Genesis 3.16? Who would add all these extra things and try and twist it? Throughout the ages, who's involved? I think it's the serpent tempter himself. Right. Because I know that I know that one of the translations of um, Genesis 3.16, I think it started, I don't know, I think it was Susan Foe who did it. You're probably more familiar with this than me. I don't know if it was late 60s or 70s or when it was, but but she changed the verse to to basically say that the problem with Eve was that her desire was to usurp Adam's authority. And so that is the essential sin of women is that they're trying to usurp the authority of men. And then um, because of that, he will rule over her. And, and I've read so many interpretations from people that are more on the like, you know, biblical manhood, biblical womanhood thing that have said that, yeah, like women's basic issue is that they are trying to take over man's rightful position. (laughs) Yeah, they say lots of things. I remember yeah. when her when she first came out with that, she was a student and I was a student too in seminary at the same time. And then I, we've got a list on page 100 of the Book of Eden where we talk about the ESV and all kinds of translations and what they do with that part of Genesis 3.16. Right. Uh, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. You will desire to control your husband. Since your trust is turning toward your husband, you will want to... Con- just lots of bad stuff in there. But you know mm-hmm. what? This is not as bad as, as the ancient Jewish interpretations, uh, they came up with 10 curses on Eve. <laughs> so uh, the, the, we keep attacking Eve, we keep attacking Eve. And we said, No, she, she's our mother. She's great. Mm-hmm. And God, look, God gave her the blessing. And God gave her the, the blessing in Genesis one to be them, he gave it to them, be fruitful and multiply. And then he confirms it to her, multiplying, I will multiply your conception. Now, mm-hmm. she knows that her offspring will defeat Satan. When I took a course, first course with Dr. Walter Kaiser, he got to Genesis chapter four and he talks about the first child. And she Mm -hmm. says at the very beginning of chapter four, I have begotten a man, there's no verb. And then she says, the Lord. And he said, there's two ways of looking at this. One is I have begotten a man with the help of the Lord, or Mm -hmm. I have begotten a man, the Lord. And he says, I think this, she believed that this was the offspring who was gonna crush Satan's head. She right. shows her faith. She shows her faith in the confession of Ephesians of Genesis 4, 1. Mm-hmm. I have begotten mm-hmm. a man, the promised seed. Everything right. we learn about Eve is great. The kids turned out differently, didn't they? Cain yeah. versus Abel. One yeah. like dad, one like mom. And then Seth turned out great too. Another one like mom. So mm-hmm. I give Eve a lot of credit and I think she deserves it all the way down. Mm-hmm. And then of course, when God says to her, I will multiply, multiplying, I will multiply your conception, that promise was ultimately fulfilled all the way down when Jesus was born through Mary. Mm-hmm. But you're not saying like, you're not saying that women don't sin or that Eve didn't sin. I just want to. Yeah. So he says, the day you eat thereof, you shall die. Right. So they both, they both ate. They mm-hmm. both had their eyes open. They both hid. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also came up with the designer clothes before that. So, yes. yeah. so they, they, they did that. They came up with that. Why? Because they both knew, you know, so they both, they both ate and they both, they both sinned. So right. yeah, that happened. There's no question about that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So I've never heard that. I've never heard it that way. I know, I know you had, you had like, you showed me before we started recording, you had like the lines. Do you want to hold that up? I'll get, uh, I'll get Katie to put it on the screen too, but sure. Yes, I will surely multiply your sorrowful toil and your conception. So that's the bad news, good news. I'll multiply your toil, I'll multiply your conception. With effort, you will bring forth children. Your desire is to your husband, but he will rule over you. Okay, and that's that's what the Hebrew more says. That's, that's it. interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. It takes a lot of getting used to. Mm-hmm. I grew up in, um, you know, good old church, and, and I heard all the things that everybody else has heard, and, and yet... I, I heard things that bothered me, like, why would the, the gospel be announced to the serpent? You know, why wouldn't it go to her? And then I found out, no, God confirmed it, part two. Right. And you will have that offspring. So there are so many good things in mm-hmm. Genesis 3.16, and yet people keep pounding on it. Remember, when you want to talk about marriage, you go to Genesis chapter 2. Mm-hmm. I don't talk about the fall. I talk about the attack. All right. If you want to know about the attack and the consequences, then you go to Genesis chapter 3. Don't ever talk about the curse. There were two curses, one on the serpent body and one on the body of the earth. You know, those two curses, that's it. Theologically, people want to talk about the curse. No, there is no the curse. 
Later on, you've got the curse of the law. Yeah, there are things like that. But in, in Genesis, there's only two Genesis curses, two Eden curses. And mm-hmm. Eve didn't get either curse, nor did Adam. Right. right. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. So he didn't curse people. He cursed the earth and he cursed the serpent. Yeah. Okay. And then he was just telling people what was going to happen to them from now on. You got it. That's right. Okay. Interesting. That's, yeah. that's, that's brilliant. And he, he assures her, you've got great desire. And he mm-hmm. tells her, look out. He desires to rule over you. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, Bruce, you have, you have a podcast where each season you go through a different problematic passage. So you started it out with Genesis two and three in your first season. And then you did Ephesians five in your second season. Ephesians five and six. Yeah. That's five and six. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then next season is first Timothy. We're right in the middle. We're right in the middle. We're doing the first three chapters of of first Timothy. And so just, just, uh, we just finished up 11 and 12, where it says, uh-huh. you know, I, I suffer not a woman to have authority. And uh, right. you know, that, that cleans up real nice, mm-hmm. especially then the next verses where he refers to Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden. Yes. And, uh, and it's good. He talks about that. And he says it in verse 15, she will be saved through the birth of the child, capital right. C, the birth right. of the child. Right. So it's right. Paul understood Genesis 3.16 very well. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So I will put up links where you can find Bruce and his podcast and the book of Eden is available, I assume on Amazon and everywhere that yes. And I will put up links for that too. Um, And that is wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us. This has been great. (laughs) Thank you. And I'll, now I'll get back to reading my good book here. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, those were deep. Yes. And interesting. I hope you found them interesting. I certainly did. Now, before we get to some encouragement emails, I want to ask for your encouragement. So next week is our 100th episode of the Bear Marriage Podcast. That's so exciting. That's insane. Absolutely. And I can't believe, yes, we've done this for 100 whole episodes. And so we would love to feature some of your voices next week. So here's what I'm asking you to do. If you have enjoyed our podcast... Will you send me a video or an audio recording, whichever is easiest for you? It really doesn't matter to me. Yes. (laughs) About, let's say, a minute long. If it's not a minute long, that's okay. (laughs) But it might get edited down to a minute, just so you know. And it can be something like this. Say your first name in the city you're in. So I'm Sheila from Belleville, Ontario. <laughs> and if you prefer to keep one of those, you know, you can also do, hi, I'm Tracy from the U.S. If yes, you'd that's really fine. Pretty, like, yeah. Um, and just tell us either something that you've learned from listening to, listening to our podcast, your favorite episode, or how your marriage has changed. Yeah. Okay, something you've learned, your favorite episode, or how your marriage has changed. Or yeah. if you just want to give us some encouragement, you can do that too. We are going to have a link to where you can send that in the podcast description to this podcast. So please go ahead and do that. You need to do it by next Tuesday, which is May 11th. Because Katie edits <laughs> the podcast on Wednesday. Yes. So, so so we would just love to feature just a few of them next week. So if you would send those in, that would be great. Mm-hmm. To end out this show, we just have a few quick things to share that are encouraging and challenging and good mm-hmm. all at the same time. So this was a tweet that came in to me this week, which I thought was amazing. And she said, our marriage almost ended because of my extreme submissiveness. Hmm. He too had married me partly for my brain, but I somehow thought I was supposed to check that. <laughs> anyway, we had a huge wake up call and we celebrated 25 years this past year. That's amazing. And I think this is what really um, always strikes me whenever I talk to women about this kind of thing is they're married to men who don't necessarily want, in essence, a, a, a servant. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but often Christian books are, are portrayed where unless you are kind of like this 60s housewife completely just devoted to doting on your husband all the time and doing whatever he says, whatever he asks, and um, then you're a bad wife. But, you but, know, your husband married you. Yeah. He, like, he, he likes you. He likes you. He wants your opinions. And so when we don't share because we think that's being unsubmissive, we actually can endanger our relationship because there's no intimacy anymore. Well, and frankly, you enable a lot of entitlement and uh, power mongering in a marriage, even with a man who wouldn't otherwise do that. Mm-hmm. And even if her husband wasn't like that, I think yeah. I think guys still, most good guys want to be engaged with you. Like, I think They so want too. that real intimacy, which can only come when you share. And we've so. heard that over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, your husband wants to be married to you and he married you for a reason. Yeah. And don't sacrifice that reason on the altar of the perfect Christian submissive yeah. wife. You don't need to become small so that your marriage can be good. Yeah. 
Exactly. Okay, Most marriages thrive when both people really live out their calling. Yep. Here's another encouraging um, message that I got on Facebook this week. A woman says, I actually gave the great sex rescue to my teenage son, <laughs> and I had him read the chapters on lust and porn. He thanked me profusely after and said it's the best news he has ever had. Oh. It's been so freeing for him. Oh. <laughs> I know you didn't know that about that one before. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are actually reading the book with their teenagers, which we were not with expecting. Older teenagers, yeah. We were not expecting that, but... But I mean, it makes sense teens are ready to talk about this stuff yeah they're yeah. already talking about it they're already living it yeah a lot of them yeah a lot of moms have been sharing it with their older adult yeah. children you know sort of like 21 22 and just getting these messages right so i and we do think honestly what we say about lust and porn is not man bashing it's freeing no, it's like you're allowed to be a man and you're allowed to not be ashamed at that but also being a man doesn't mean that you are automatically going to lust objectify and become a predator at any moment so yeah Yep. Okay. And here finally is our encouraging email from someone. Okay. So she is writing in about the great sex rescue. Wait, I gotta, okay, for everyone watching, I'm just pot flashing here, menopause. <laughs> I gotta take the sweater off. Oh. I knit this, by the way. Isn't it lovely? Okay, here we go. So she says, my husband doesn't enjoy reading books, but when I shared with him some of the horrible ideas I've gotten from other books, he was horrified. He was like, yeah, the problem I have with most books other than the Bible, which is true, is that it's someone's opinion. I told him your blog is one of the reasons I was able to relax with him. He still won't read, but we do talk about <laughs> stuff. My marriage has gotten a lot better too, because honestly, you had some of the best advice about setting healthy boundaries. Mm. I honestly think it saved our marriage, whereas other advice literally caused me horrendous mental anguish. And we even separated briefly years ago after I took the advice of one particular author. I also wandered away from being connected to a church family because it was too painful to get told all the things I was supposed to do just to deal with, which were not healthy. I've since reconnected to a good congregation. And as for me and my husband, we've come a long way. I think you would enjoy your writing if you like to read because he does now treat me well and we're a team. Basically, it comes down to if we love Jesus, we love each other and we do our best to act in love towards each other. Mm -hmm. So thank you for keeping up what must be an exhausting task. I think people forget marriage can be awesome. We make it about a bunch of rules instead of just enjoying a relationship, much like our relationship with Christ. It's much sweeter when we fall in love with Jesus because we want to do what pleases him as opposed to doing X, Y, and Z out of fear or obligation. Perfect love cast out all fear, as the Bible says. And I just wanted to say that I appreciate your writing. Oh, that's sweet. It's always yeah. good to hear that marriages are doing better when they hear healthy advice. Yeah. So there you yeah. go. So let's just be healthy. Let's listen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and we want to make it clear that we, and, and I hope, I, I do truly mean this, that I'm always going to try to listen. Yeah. And if I've said something wrong, I really do want to fix it. And even this week, I've been revising some older posts that I'm going to yeah. rerun because I don't agree with what I said before. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, probably in 10 years, we're still like writing on this stuff. It's probably going to be slightly different because yeah. we'll know more information. And, and that changes. is how it should be. Again, none of us, and we say this again and again and again, none of us is called to perfection today. No. What we are called to is to do the best with what we know. Mm-hmm. And so now that we know better than we did 10 years ago when these books were at like, you know, their heyday, Yeah. you know, let's do better. We don't need love and respect anymore. No. We don't need for women only anymore. No. We don't need every man's battle because there is a better way. There is an evidence-based way and there is a more Christ-like way that we can do more moving forward. Yep. So when we know better, we do better. Yeah. And that's our commitment to you is that if we ever know better, we will always endeavor to do better yeah. and we will tell you that we have changed as well. So thank you for joining us on the Bear Marriage Podcast. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and we will see you again next week for our 100th episode. Yay!